It's time for episode 261 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, October 3rd, 2018. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tick-talking tech podcast. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent, and I'm joined across this very vast internet by my co-host, Dan Morin. Hello, Dan. That's my best TikTok. I don't know. <laughs> it, was, it was not bad. I was uh, a little Thank confused. <laughs> I thought you were eating cereal on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, TikTok cereal. It's our new Clockwise uh, branding opportunity. <laughs> Cue all of the drawings. I can't wait. Um, you folks know how this podcast works. We've got two awesome guests, and I am pleased to introduce Matthew Casanelli, who, of course, is the co-host of Supercomputer, a writer at iMore and the Sweet Setup. Uh, you know, did did a thing or two uh, with the workflow team, I've heard. <laughs> uh, Matthew, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on. I've been listening for a long time, since the workflow days, actually. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and to my left, a freelance writer, tech journalist, and co-host of many podcasts, including all about Android and material right here on Relay FM. Florence Ion is back. Hi, Flo. How are you doing? Good morning, everyone. It is first thing in the morning for me. So, <laughs> or, it's, or it's lunchtime on this coast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm jealous of your energy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we'll spread it around as we go ahead and get going because, you know, we've got four tech topics in just 30 minutes. So I'm curious. Uh, you know, digital media is everywhere. We're streaming music. We're downloading movies on iTunes. We're we're getting all of our interesting media kind of from the cloud. But I'm curious, what physical media do you own at this point? Matthew, we'll start with you. So I'm actually one of those vinyl people who has a whole collection of albums on vinyl that I got, um, probably partially from living in Berkeley. And there's a couple cool record stores that have been here for years and years. But something about just putting a record on is more like an engaging experience for me than kind of just shuffling my radio or something like that. And I have, of course, managed to get my vinyl connected or converted to digital and then passed through to my HomePod. So Ooh. I'm still I'm doing analog in the most digital way possible. <laughs> you know, when you say vinyl person, I was like, you're a Funko Pop. Is that what's happening here? <laughs> I'm very confused. Um, I am still... So I've gone mostly digital in terms of both audio and uh, video. I do still have some old DVDs lying around. Every once in a while, I've bought a Blu-ray, but even there, very rarely... And I do have my backlog of all those CDs that I bought during high school and college. But yes, I haven't bought a CD in easily a decade. Uh, but the thing for me that keeps me in physical media is books. Uh, and part of that is just, you know, being a writer. And part of it is the fact that I was raised by two librarians. So books to me have always physical books have had a very special place in my life, which is unfortunate because they are the heaviest thing to move ever. So, uh, you know, you acquire a couple of bookshelves full of things and all of a sudden your ability to pack up and go someplace else is kind of limited. Um, I do buy a lot of digital books these days 
it tends to have become more of the default, but I definitely hold out and like pick up certain things in in physical copy, even hardcover, uh, if it's something that I know I really you know want to invest in and keep for a long time. So digital media has certainly been more convenient, but yeah, I haven't been able to quite escape the temptation of physical books. So I need to tell you that this entire summer, what I did is uh, I bought... I actually bought used DVDs off of the internet specifically to rip them and put the video files legally onto my Plex server so that I can then donate the DVDs to the library when I'm finished. Uh, currently, I am going through seasons two, three, and four of Melrose Place to add to my collection. Uh, and I've also ripped, of course, every season of Beverly Hills 90210. So all of... As you can see, I'm really trying to get rid of these things. Just <laughs> for posterity, present. really? Like you're just archiving these? I am I am archiving them actually a bit because I would like to be able to share some of this trash with my children, uh, you know, in with future generations. <laughs> it's important to me that they understand the pop culture that I grew up with. <laughs> um but the only the only actual physical uh media that I own are uh, a two small little bookshelves that I have full of uh, comics and graphic novels are still a thing that I indulge in quite often. Um, also zines. I really like to support, I really like to support creators who are still putting out physical media as well as uh, magazines like Anxie puts, puts out a really beautiful uh, physical media magazine that I love. You know, Kill Screen has a wonderful magazine um, and three DVDs, which are... <laughs> Three DVDs, specifically. One of them is uh, the last season of Sailor Moon, the original <laughs> anime, because it's like really hard to find. Uh, wh- and two of them are Daft Punk DVDs. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so there nice. you go. <laughs> so for me, I've got some. I've, I'm a vinyl person too. I've got some uh, <laughs> vinyls that I like to. I like to slap down onto the the player, but. I'm going to have to follow up with you on that, Matthew, because I'm curious about how you're making it get to the home pod. That's fascinating. Um, I don't have any physical movie or television media. Um, I'm not a big movie TV watcher, really. I'm more of like a audiobook listener slash reader. Um, but I do have a lot of physical books from Back when I was first getting into and was was doing freelance graphic design, I've got just a boatload of graphic design books and books from graphic designers and and art books and table or coffee table books, not table coffee books, uh, that, that are physical and do take up space in my home. But for the most part, I've I've gone I've gone pretty digital. So thank you all for your answers there. Let's move on to our next topic, which comes from Matthew. Okay, so my topic this week is coming on the heels of Siri and Shortcuts launching with iOS 12, and just in general, the Google Assistant and Amazon Echo Assistant, trying not to say the trigger word here. (laughs) Um, I'd say like competition is at the fiercest, um, but also all of them aren't actually AI, and so I'm curious, in a perfect world, what would your ideal artificial intelligence assistant do for you? Oh, in a perfect world. Well, for me, in a perfect world, artificial intelligence assistants would be as capable, if not more capable, than like a human assistant, in that I want to be able to, you know, give a complicated idea across and have it essentially interpret it correctly and deliver. So, you know, if I want to ask 
hey, you know, hey, artificial intelligence assistants, you know, order me the sandwich I like from that that deli, but make sure that they take off the pickles or whatever, right? Like right now, uh, an artificial in, uh, assistant can't really handle that idea, certainly not in sort of a, a natural language processing sort of way. Um, likewise, if you need to like change a meeting time or something like that, some of these things, you know, we're pretty close to, but like as soon as you get deeper then a certain level of complexity gets really hard. Like I always like to compare your current level of uh, virtual assistants to being kind of like training, you know, a dog, which is to say dogs, very smart, and they'll they'll adapt to certain commands. And sometimes they can even, you know, infer things based on that. But if you get past a certain level of depth, it just gets too complicated. So, you know, uh, I, I I also would take a dog that would go order me a sandwich if that's an option. That's fine. <laughs> uh, Dan, I actually am very much on your wavelength in terms of this, just because I've been living with the Google Assistant now since uh, late 2016, and I've seen it. I, I have. It's been. I hope you two are very happy together. We we are. It's just that um, I'm still having problems like understanding and communicating with it, and it's something that we're really working on. Which any relationship really takes <laughs> yeah. time. That's what I was going to say. Um, but it really is just like that. I mean, that's what it's like for for us now. My my little family, me and my husband, and I don't know, maybe even the cat. Um, that's what it's like for us now. We have this other little assistant in here that helps us answer questions when we're having like debates or whatever helps us figure out what to watch on TV or helps me actually put a channel on TV so I don't even have to find my phone. I mean, I really enjoy that, but I've learned how to talk to it. So I I do have to take a pause before I interact with it and recall that specific like set of commands that I've taught myself that I've memorized. And I really do wish that it could just be a more natural conversation. I wish I didn't have to say things in a very specific way to get it to understand me. I wish it could just send a text message if I asked it it to. Um, I guess I would like for it to be more natural, which I think also means that I would give it more access to things. But I think maybe I've already done that. So I think I'm okay with it. Yeah, I I feel like it's an... uh it's a worthwhile trade-off if it can be better at understanding exactly what we're asking for. And that's tough. Like I realize humans don't always say exactly what's on their mind or what they're thinking or what they uh, mean. And it can be kind of tough to understand sort of what your intents are if you're just a computer. But I do wish that it was better at being able to get at the the root of what we're after and then go farther with that in order to or rather go further with that in order to sort of understand us but for me in particular and this is something that the all of the assistants seem to be working on right now although Siri maybe not so much um the other ones have certainly talked about this is better understanding what I want out of my smart home. And so knowing when to suggest things to me like, oh, wow, every day you uh, unlock this door, then you lock this door, then you turn off these lights. Would you like me to just do that after I've detected that you've left the home from now on? Yes, I would. That would be great. Thank you, assistant. That's wonderful. I would love to have those. So essentially taking something like Siri suggestions and combining it with the smart home in a way that's not like trigger this scene because you have done this every day in an app.
app. Like I want it to just exist in the space. Everything's all connected already. So just do those. Well, ask me if you want to do those things and then do them without me having to ask Siri or another assistant that's in my home, because of course I've got the three big ones to do that for me. I just want you to, you can ask me if you can do it. And then once I say yes, then go ahead and do it. And, you know, don't involve me with it. And I think that would be fantastic. So smart home and better communication. Matthew, any last thoughts? Uh, those are all great answers. I mean, flow access, Mike, I wants a smart home and Dan wants a sandwich with no pickles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're, you're our new assistant. Thanks. Yeah. Do you have a shortcut for that, please? <laughs> um, I'd say for me, I've always wanted some sort of more integration with the data that I put into it. Like there's my reminders list with my groceries or lately I've been putting in expiration dates for things because I always forget. And then it's like, when did I buy this? When is this good till? And then like my health data. So it could do like my meal planning for me is like, Hey, you have to walk to the store to buy this and they have it in stock, but it's kind of hot out. So you're wearing You should put on a jacket or you should take off your jacket and then, go to the store, get it. And then you haven't walked enough. So get this slightly healthier version or something like that. So tying it all together, like you said, proactive and even with flows thing, more of a natural conversation where you're just like, "Eh, I don't really want that today. And she figures (laughs) something else out for you. I take it back. I want Matthew's thing. (laughs) That sounds awesome. Uh, So make that happen, please. And please do that while I tell you about our friends over at Smile, because it's halftime, folks. We're there. Text Expander helps you communicate smarter. That means you can create snippets for things you type or copy and paste all the time. You can create snippets for short things you type, like email addresses, website addresses, today's date, or you can make snippets for longer things that you might type out. That's like directions or answers to common questions if you have support that you do. Now, I have talked before about literally of of all the apps that are on my computer, except save for the home app, which now exists on my computer. Text Expander is my favorite thing in all of the world in terms of apps. It is so awesome. It helps me every day do so many things and I've compared it to being like that person at work or if if you remember like when you were in school, the person with gum who was giving gum to people, they were the coolest person in that moment. And I feel that way with text expander and work because I can be like, yo, you know how we have to do these new kind of templates and you got to, you got to copy and paste all these URLs in and these titles in. Well, I've got a text expander snippet and everyone's like, yeah, give it to me, give it to me. It's great. So if you want to be the hero at work, if you want to be the fastest typer, if you want to get back to people quickly, you should check out text expander from our friends at smile. And by the way, if you go to textexpander.com slash podcast, you're going to get 20% off your first year of text expander. That's textexpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year. Thanks so much to text expander for their support of clockwise and all of relay FM. Let's go ahead and move on to the next topic, which comes from Dan. All right, let's get a little nostalgic. Yahoo is shutting down the last vestige of GeoCities. Yes, it was still alive, apparently in Japan. So my question for you folks is, where did you host your first website? Because, come on, I know you guys did. (laughs) I actually owe my career to GeoCities because if, uh, in all honesty, if it wasn't for 
having GeoCities, that platform to be able to play around with HTML, to be able to become a content creator on the internet at such a young age. Granted, my network back then was really minuscule. It it only expanded as far as the people that were in the same NSYNC UBB as me, um, which were quite many of us uh, fans of, you know, the great boy bands of the late 90s. Anyway, uh, but it was because of that NSYNC website that I had as a junior high kid that it just made me realize that what I wanted to do was to put my words on the internet. And so I was able to do that. So thank you, GeoCities. Um, I will forever remember you. <laughs> uh, I was just trying to remember what my first, uh, where my first site was hosted. And it was a, a hosting and domain uh, selling company called Fat Cow. Oh, I, I think I remember this. <laughs> yeah. And I don't remember why. I think that they just had like a really good deal. And so I knew that I could get, um, you know, multiple websites because I ran a little, uh, web design company when I was in like middle school. And so Fat Cow was able to save me some money on making these sites and hosting these sites for the clients that I had. And it was, uh, it was super easy, but it's funny because looking back, I've, I've gone to the site and it's like super web 2.0. And also I remember now it was so much more complicated than some of the sites that we have today for hosting the sites for hosting sites like Squarespace and other ones like that. So yeah, fatcow.com was the first host and I think domain, uh, seller of my of my website i'd say for me i didn't start out hosting my site as much i was kind of born into the era of aim buddy profiles and myspace <laughs> customization because that got me pretty far into learning html and things like that but the first site that i really used regularly was actually tumblr um and this kind of is an interesting story because I ended up meeting my girlfriend, my current girlfriend, through Tumblr. Oh, wow. And I like somehow followed one of her friend's blogs who reblogged her. And there's a whole like Tumblr ask feature where you can ask people questions. And I'm pretty sure I was like, what kind of music do you like? And, being all, <laughs> and she's like, I like vinyl records. And you're like, me too. <laughs> vinyl records. Yeah. So that's uh, my beginning story. And I think I still might have the Tumblr page, but I don't, <laughs> we don't use it anymore. By the way, I met my husband on live journals, so it's not as uncommon <laughs> as you think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit old here because I, so the first account I remember having was on a site called a hosting service called io.com. Uh, and it was run by the game company Steve Jackson Games, which made a game called Illuminati. And they were the hosting site was was Illuminati Online. Essentially, it was like a BBS. They're actually famous in certain circles because they got raided by the FBI or the Secret Service at nice. one point because they had made a game based on like cyberpunk or whatever, and they thought they had like hacked into a bunch of stuff. And so that's one of the one of the early high priority uh, or high profile cases the EFF defended. Um, but yeah, that was my first. I, basically, I had like a little. Uh, shell account I could log into and I made a web page but I had to go to my dad's work and actually to actually be able to see it in a real in like Netscape because I didn't have a connection at home that could use an actual web browser that was graphical rather than the command line text browser and oh my god I'm really old anyway let's move on thanks all for your answers there and let's go to our last topic which comes from flow so I have basically been running my business off of a Pixel book for the last four, five months. Um, and it's, I never thought that it would come to this. I never thought that I would 
be so reliant on Chrome OS. I was very resistant to it in the beginning, I think, because it had this era of like, well, you know, this is for education and developers. But I have to tell y'all, like, this thing does so much more than I thought it was able to do. And with all the improvements that come to the platform, I am just, I'm shouting from the rooftops about what this thing can do. So not only am I running, of course, Chrome extensions, you know, everything is through the Chrome browser, but I've also got access to Android apps, which is a vast library and all the improvements that have come through. The Android apps are, they're, they're enabling me to do things that I could normally do on a PC, but I, I'm doing them through Chrome OS. Uh, I also have an emulator that runs Windows apps on Chrome right now. So I still have all of my uh, my little like Windows apps that I need for things like bulk renaming files and such. I have that running on Chrome OS. And so I guess, you know, I want to know from y'all what you know about this platform. What, you know, would you ever consider using something besides a Mac or a PC? Because I do feel like this is quite a powerful platform and I feel like not a lot of people are aware of <laughs> capabilities. So I don't know. Why don't you, you guys tell me what you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I don't know much about this platform. I've heard, you know, uh, over, over the years, I guess I've heard, you know, people get interested in it and then sort of go away from it. And then some people have stuck to it and have been very into it. And now it seems like we are getting to a place where as like cloud computing and cloud storage and all of these things that exist sort of outside of our devices become more powerful than these, these simple platforms with, you know, less powerful chips and whatnot can be all the more, uh, can be all the more useful and we can do so much more with them. And I think that that is sort of a fascinating concept, especially in terms of things like education and education in places where, uh, money is, is more of an issue because, you know, I, I think about the, the cool stuff that Apple has announced in the past. And I think they just dropped their everyone can create initiative where it's sort of curricula surrounding creation of, of music and, and art and all of these different things. But so much of that stuff is tied to expensive devices like iPad and, uh, the Mac and not everybody can afford those on their own and not every school district can afford those on their own. And so having these devices that basically work as windows or portals into online spaces and online tools and online computers, essentially, I think is a very powerful and, and potentially very life changing in many ways, uh, way to look at things. Those are all really good points. Basically, <laughs> I was like, Oh, great. Great ideas, Micah. Um, I'd say the screen being like an affordable way into technology, I think is one of the most beneficial parts. Um, and I think it's also kind of a jobs to be done sort of realm where you don't necessarily need more powerful laptops unless you're going into specific tasks. And for most of like the daily internet use that a lot of people like the average computer user does use, this is probably more than enough. And so it is super interesting 
I, I remember my dad had a Chromebook and I always struggled because I think in Google Docs, one of the drop down menus would just go off the screen and he couldn't resize it to go click on it. And so that was an earlier version, but I think some of the like wonkiness in between there is kind of what gets in the way for me. And I mean, I'm also uniquely suited to use iOS now with all of the shortcuts stuff. And so it is hard for me to be like, oh, I'll switch because now I feel like I'm chained by the shortcuts app because I do like, I can't do stuff that I can do with it on other computers. And so it's like, ah, I don't think Siri shortcuts will come to the Chromebook anytime soon though. I think what this points out is that versatility and broad number of platforms being powerful is a really good thing. There's been this debate for years. It's not even really a debate, but we still have it about whether you can use an iPad for work. And of course, I think by this point, most people are pretty confident like, yeah, you can. Uh, as long as you're not doing things that obviously are a little bit trickier like pro video editing. And even there, that those those lines are becoming more eroded. Uh, I think the Chromebook is in a similar place where it's the kind of computing device that is going to be sufficient for a lot of people uh, for the stuff they need to do every day. And a lot of that is connectivity and, uh, you know, documents, word processing, office, you like productivity kind of stuff. Uh, and there are some other uh, options as well. There are some other like abilities that you have with that as well. Um in in sort of that that old Steve Jobs analogy, I think a Chromebook is very car like. You know, it's going to get a lot of people from point A to point B. It's not necessarily going to do everything that a a Mac or a PC does, but that's okay. Most people don't need to do everything that a Mac or a PC does. And so, having the Chromebook, having uh, iOS platform, having uh, you know even the Surface to a certain extent, um, all of those things contribute to more choice and more competition in this sort of common computing platform that you know situation that we have right now so as a result i've never spent i have not spent a lot of time with a chromebook but it doesn't surprise me that they're perfectly capable devices uh, i know a lot of people who do use them because they are again they they handle the the tasks that most people need to do every day and that's great and if you're especially if you're like deeply invested in the google e ecosystem that's a huge bonus as well right in the same way that us those of us who use ios because we're mac users or vice versa uh you know get a lot of benefit out of that too so i'm glad that the chromebook is doing well and improving and it doesn't surprise me at all. Me too. I'm glad. I really like what you were saying about platforms because I feel like that was kind of missing for a while. I felt like it was a very, a, honestly, a very binary tech world. And I like this. I like this. It makes me feel like a bit of a rebel to kind of live in between, to be honest, even though I'm using like a pixel book, which is like the most expensive Chromebook. But regardless, it's because it's one of the most capable. Um, I do hope that after this October 9th event from Google that, uh, that there are some announcements that maybe bring more people to, to lay eyes on this platform because a lot of the things that, uh, y'all were mentioning about like some of the clunkiness of the UI, a lot of that stuff has kind of been smoothed out in recent variations. And, um, I think, uh, I think you're going to hear a lot more from this platform in the coming years. So. Keep, keep your eyes toward that horizon, please. <laughs> we can certainly do that. And now we can keep our eyes toward the horizon that is the end of this episode. But before we do, I have a bonus topic for you all. I want to know, if you could instantly become an expert in something, what would it be? So I had to think about this one, and I was thinking of all these altruistic things. And then I landed on breakdancing. dancing. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> for some reason, it's always, this is very much from like when I was 13 years old, but I always thought it would be so cool to just be like, oh, it's like, you can't dance or whatever. And then suddenly you're like, oh yeah. And then just like spin on your head. And so I, I had always <laughs> wanted to secretly take breakdancing lessons. <laughs> oh man, there were too many options here. Um, but the one I'll go with, you know, inspired by Matt's uh, example is drumming. Same sort of thing. You just want to like sit down and like just drum like a like a killer drum solo or pretty much any musical instrument. Honestly, if I could like I play the piano a little bit, but if I could was one of those people who could just sit down and play something, that would be awesome. I'm also gonna air away from altruism because that's a very long list, <laughs> uh, extremely long list. But I actually would love to be an expert at Pokemon the card game because <laughs> because for, I love it. So I've been playing it for years, the online version, and I'm building my deck currently. But it's hard to find a group to play with, and every time I like tune in to tournaments, it's always like it's just dudes, and like I I love this game. <laughs> Uh, so I was gonna go with something altruistic, but now everyone's done a fun one and I want to do a fun one. Um, it's along the lines of, of Dan. I would just, I would love to be, I have, I have giant monster hands and people have been telling me I should play piano for ages and I really wish that I could just like sit down one, I don't know, holiday get together and like start blasting out this awesome, <laughs> just beautiful piano piece. Oh, that'd be so cool. Well, thank you all for your uh, answers to that bonus topic. They all brought me so much joy. All that's left is to thank our guests for joining us. Matthew Casanelli, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. It's I love the Clockwise Show, so Aww. it's always like my little weekly digest. And Flo Ion, thank you so much for being here this week. Thank you guys for having me. This is such a great way to like start my day. I appreciate uh. it. Yeah, we hope that we're a great way to start everybody's day. And we'll be back next week to do that again. Uh, but until then, Micah, I think we should remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.